0: Hey everyone, this is Danny and welcome to Bro History. Today we have an awesome guest for you, Dr. Robert Zubrin. He's an aerospace engineer and author of The Case for Mars, but is most well known for being the founder and president of the Mars Society. We had a blast talking to him about colonizing Mars, and hope you do too. Remember, we're airing all of our episodes on YouTube now too, so if you like the show, please check us out there. Like, subscribe, and join the conversation in the comments section.
2: Welcome
1: to com. Let's go. Great. Right. We'll, we'll get started. Yeah. All right. On today's show, we have Dr. Robert Zubrin. Um, Dr. Zubrin is the founder and president of the Mars Society, which you can visit at marssociety.org. He's the author of many books, including The Case for Mars, Uh, The Plan to Settle the Red Planet and Why We Must. Uh, The link to the book will be in the description below. Uh, Dr. Zubin, thank you for joining us today.
2: Uh, It's my pleasure.
1: Yeah. So I guess my first question for you is, uh, what exactly is the Mars Society?
2: Mars Society is an international organization of people uh, wanting to help further the human and robotic exploration of Mars and the settlement of Mars, using both public and private means, any way it can be done.
0: That's incredible. Um, Dr. Zubrin, how how did you uh, end up um, founding such a lofty goal?
2: Well, um, you know, I'm an astronautical engineer and uh, in the 1989-90 period, I worked out a plan for enabling human Mars missions in our time using present-day technology. And... um, Eventually, it had an impact, and NASA embraced it uh, for a while, and they realized it was going to cut the cost of a human Mars exploration program by about an order of magnitude. Newsweek heard about it, published a story about it. uh, On the 25th anniversary of the moon landing, we're now approaching the 50th anniversary, Mm -hmm. Uh, but a literary agent heard about that. She called me up. You should write a book. I wrote a book. It was called The Case for Mars. It was published in 96. It was very successful. I got 4,000 letters from all kinds of people from all over the world, and they said all kinds of things. But uh, underneath what everyone was saying was simply this, a question, how do we make this happen? And I looked at that, and I said, if we could pull this amount of talent together, we could make it happen, or we'd at least have a force to try And so uh, I and some close friends who think the way I do called the founding convention of the Mars Society in Boulder in 1998, 700 people showed up. And by the end of the conference, we had 25 chapters across the world, and now we have more like 70. Uh, And uh, that's how it all got started. And we decided we'd do three things. One, just general outreach to spread the vision. Second, political work to defend the various Mars programs that were you know embattled in the political arena and the third being projects of our own of which the most important have been the setting up of these two mars exploration stations in the canadian arctic and the american desert where people can do practice mars missions and try to figure out what's going to work on mars
0: that's awesome i also saw on your website that uh, you're holding a, a bit of a contest to um, uh see who can come up with the best ideas for the uh, first human settlement on mars can you tell us a little that's bit right. about that
2: Yes, well, a donor uh, donated uh, some twenty thousand uh, dollars to be used as prizes for a competition to design a Mars colony, and by design a Mars colony uh, for a thousand people, and forty percent of it is uh, of the points are for technical design, thirty uh, percent for economics. How's this thing going to sustain itself economically? And then the other uh, ten each are for uh, uh, social forms, uh, political forms and, uh, aesthetics.
0: That's incredible. Um, so I I guess the question that looms. And and the hmm. first
2: prize is $10,000 and then there's some other prizes with the remaining 10.
0: Yeah, I saw that. That was, that was incredible. Um, I, I guess the question that looms over everyone's head when, when we talk about, you know, settling on Mars is, is the why. And I was hoping that maybe you can help us understand why should we go to Mars?
2: Well, why have children?
0: that's a good point yeah, is. fair <laughs> enough
2: <laughs> uh i mean what we're talking about here is creating a new branch of human civilization uh and why why is that useful you know benjamin franklin Um, he he was over in France during the American Revolution as our ambassador but of course he was also an experimenter with electricity and he was doing all these tricks with electricity in front of audiences of French aristocrats and one Mm -hmm. nobleman came up to him at the end of one of his demonstrations and he said, but Dr. Franklin, this is all very amusing, but of what possible use could electricity ever be? (laughs) And Franklin's answer was, of what use is a baby?
0: (laughs) That's, that's incredible. Uh, That's a really interesting way to put it. Um, I guess maybe more specifically, you know, a lot of folks uh, posit, you know, going into space is, is is obviously the next step for our, you know, for our species. Um, You know, so ideas have been posited for, you know, International Space Station, um, the moon, and of course, you're, you're putting forth the idea for Mars. What makes Mars the the best possible candidate for uh, setting up a human colony?
2: Well, Mars is the closest planet that has in plenitude all the resources necessary to support life and therefore civilization. There may be uh, small amounts of water frozen in permanently shadowed craters in. The lunar polar regions, but mm-hmm. elsewhere its water is only present in parts per million quantities in the soil. On Mars, there are continent sized regions that are 60% water by weight in the soil, and there's mm-hmm. even huge glaciers, including at latitudes as far south as, for instance, as 38 degrees north, which is the same latitude as San Francisco on Earth. Uh, giant glaciers with a pure water ice as much as in the Great Lakes of, of the United States. And so there's water on Mars. There's carbon on Mars. The atmosphere is carbon dioxide. Okay, carbon dioxide and water is what you need to grow plants. There's nitrogen on Mars. Nitrogen's a key uh, uh, minority element needed for biology. So there you have the basis of biology and of synthetic chemistry and of a lot of industrial chemistry. Because the other thing you have a lot of on Mars is iron oxide. That's why the planet is red. Mm -hmm. You can hit iron oxide with carbon monoxide, which you can make from carbon dioxide, and then you turn it into steel. That's how we make it on Earth. And you can do that on Mars. I mean, there's all this stuff. There's no carbon on the moon. And we're carbon-based life forms. We're made of carbon and water. And, you know, and everything we use, everything you eat is made of carbon and water. Everything you wear is made of carbon and water, you know. Uh, and everything else is made with carbon and water. And uh, so Mars has got the, the resources. I like to compare it to the moon as, for instance, North America compared to Greenland in the European age of exploration. Mm-hmm. Europeans reached Greenland first. It's closer to Europe, but is a much poorer environment. And it wasn't a place where I mean, you could set up some outposts there, but you couldn't set up a new civilization there.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, and, and it sounds like, for, for Mars at least, it's got a lot of the, you know, ingredients uh, to help uh, sustain, you know, human settlement, but clearly there's still work to be done when we get there. What would we need to do to make Mars habitable for human beings?
2: Well, okay, making Mars habitable is going to take a while, uh, but creating the basis for humans to live on Mars can be done fairly rapidly, okay, I mean, the first humans to land on Mars will probably use their spaceships as their houses, Uh, they'll wear spacesuits when they go outside, and uh, they'll use both pressurized and unpressurized vehicles. That is, they'll have vehicles like all-terrain vehicles that you have to wear your spacesuit when you're riding around on. Mm-hmm. But they're still quite useful because they give you a nice informal relationship with the environment. And then there'll be pressurized vehicles like more or less think of things like an SUV that you ride around inside of, and you don't have to wear a spacesuit, but you put one on when you want to go outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, and or even bigger things the size of buses, but uh, I tend to like smaller vehicles because you know there's no roads and there's no AAA on Mars. <laughs> with a nimble vehicle, uh, better a jeep than a bus, and better an all terrain vehicle than a jeep. Um, Definitely. And uh, but so that's what we'll do. But then we can create underground vaults on Mars, and they can actually be under the dirt or even carved into ice. Ice is very strong on Mars because it's cold, and mm-hmm. you could create underground ice caves and just line them with insulator and create, you know, uh, habitation volumes comparable to that in like major subway systems, you know, where you just underground malls, as it were, uh, and uh, and then we'll set up domes on the surface. And then we'll, which will give us, uh, you know, habitable domes, and each one maybe 100 yards in diameter, but linked together by tunnels so you can go from one to the other and grow plants and these things lit by sunlight. Now, in terms of actually transforming Mars, that's called terraforming. Now, that's a big project. Right, right. And um, the, the – uh, now, the way to do it um, is to do a little global warming uh, we know how to do that.
0: And, uh, <laughs> we do it pretty well here, huh? <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, okay. We're we're going to have to improve our abilities in that respect. But <laughs> yes, uh, the the we do know that you can put gases in an atmosphere that increases its heat trapping capability. And in fact, there are much more powerful uh, greenhouse gases than CO2, for instance, CF4 carbon tetrafluoride, which is a refrigerant used on earth is uh, thousands of times more powerful Mm -hmm. greenhouse agent than CO2 molecule for molecule. And if we set up factories to produce that on Mars and put it into the atmosphere instead of refrigerators, and we did it on the same scale that we produced those kinds of chemicals on Earth. In 50 years, you'd warm Mars by 10 centigrade. Now, that's a lot. Okay, that's 10 times as much as anybody is, is, is thinking. Uh, that – Well, okay, who, there are people who think we're going to do all sorts of things, but that's 10 mm-hmm. times as much as the global warming that has been since 1880. Okay. Oh, wow. Uh, I see. And, um, um, And that is such a strong warming that it would force carbon dioxide, which has been soaked into the soil, to outgas and thicken the atmosphere, and CO2 is also a greenhouse gas, as you know, and -hmm. that would warm it even more so that in a couple of centuries you'd warm Mars, Mars 50 centigrade. You are Mars fifty centigrade. Then I mean, Mars will be mean, almost as warm as Earth, and certainly the tropics on Mars will be just fine as far as temperatures concerned. And even mid latitudes would be pretty good. And and then all this ice, or not all, but a lot of it, and firm per- permafrost would start to melt, and it'd start flowing, and you'd have liquid water on Mars. You'd have lakes, you'd have rivers. There's dried up lakes and ra- r- rivers on Mars now, mm-hmm. because all the water's frozen. But there are streams on Mars that flow again, and there'd be rain. And you could start spreading plants around on the surface with a six CO2 atmosphere, adequate warmth, liquid water. And the plants would eventually green, well, they would green the planet and they'd also put oxygen in its atmosphere. Now, if you talk about the kind of plants we actually have now, they'd take a thousand years to put enough oxygen in Mars' atmosphere for you to breathe it. But if we're talking 200 years from now, it's hardly a stretch to think that we can't. We could get, uh, genetically engineer plants to um, uh, be much more efficient at photosynthesis, and, and we could do it a lot faster.
0: And introduce some super GMO plants to kind of
2: yep. uh, mm-hmm.
0: accelerate that process. Yeah, that that'd be interesting. Um, so say say we've we've done a lot of that you know um, we, we've got our habitats on Mars right uh, our, our domes and our all terrain vehicles and things like that and we're in the process of trying to terraform Mars what other challenges are presented to you know the human body uh, on Mars uh, that we should know about
2: well it's one third gravity so unless you exercise a fair amount that could have uh, a negative effects on muscles, although uh, undoubtedly not as much as zero gravity does. Clearly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, there's uh, a certain amount of space radiation on Mars about the same as there is at the space station, but especially if you lived in these underground vaults, that wouldn't be an issue at all. It would all be shielded. Um, and even on the surface hams, if you put sandbags on the roof of the hab, it would mask most of the radiation. Out. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, there's stuff like that. Uh, But I think, you know, it's going to be challenging. Uh, And that's part of the charm. Challenge is good. People grow in their challenge. Civilizations grow in their
1: challenge.
2: Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of people say America really developed this can-do attitude because of the frontier, which constantly presented new challenges, and but also in a place where uh, people were remote from old institutions that were trying to control the ways to do things. Let's just do it this way. And this is where you get the pr- characteristic American ideology, which is pragmatism. Mm-hmm. You know, why, why do we have to do it that way just because it's been done that way? Right. This looks like the better way to do it. And, um, and the belief that there is always a better way. And um, I think the Martians will uh, have that attitude in spades.
0: So um, it, w- with that being said, uh, I you remember um, reading something about uh, Mars dust and how it has potentially uh, either radioactive or, or toxic, g- generally bad um, stuff in it. What Would Mars dust present a, a serious challenge for anyone who went to the well, red no, planet? It's,
2: it's not radioactive. It, some of it may have perchlorates, which are mm-hmm. chemical compounds that you know, you can see some of them in detergents and such. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, be, 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 you'd want to wash out Martian soil before you used to grow plants and you want to keep the dust out of the building. Uh, once it starts to rain on Mars, all that stuff will be destroyed.
0: Okay, I didn't know that. So so restarting the, the water cycle will pretty much solve that issue. Yep. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> um, so funny question um what happens if we get to mars and you know we're doing our thing and everything's going well and we discover i don't know some life forms on mars like do we have a plan to protect ourselves from them
2: um it's um very unlikely that the life (laughs) forms on mars will be of any threat to the U.S. because (laughs) you see well you see pathogens are specifically adapted to their hosts. This is why no one has ever caught Dutch elm disease Mm -hmm. and treats don't catch the measles. Um, The the organisms that prey on us have been preying on our ancestors and engaged in an arms race with our ancestors for the past 4 billion years. Right. Uh, And, you know, I mean, certain closely related species you could get a disease from like dogs and rabies, okay? Mm -hmm. But dogs are very closely related to us, okay, mammals. we don't get diseases from things like plants that we are not related to and any well there is no macro fauna or flora on mars that's another point (laughs) yeah so so there's no pathogens for anything on mars because there Mm -hmm. can't be and frankly if there's any microorganisms on mars they're deep underground in the groundwater which is because the Martian surface used to be habitable for microbes when the planet was warm and wet, but it became too cold. And, and, and so the only place that's habitable, by habitable I mean for microbes, is the groundwater on Mars. And there is mm-hmm. groundwater on Mars, and that's where we have a good chance of finding microbes. But, you know, that the, the original microbial inhabitants of the Earth can no longer live on the surface of the Earth. There's too much oxygen. They're down there in the groundwater. Um, and um, no one's ever caught disease from one of them. Uh, because you know, they, they were designed to have, uh,
0: to attack different things. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Well, they don't even attack anything there. They were autotrophs. They, 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 um, I mean, some of them might eat each other, but they lived in a world that was only other microbes in it. And, and that's what they're used to. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they, you know, they never saw a person, they never saw a horse and they never saw a tree. Uh, yeah. They're way down there underground and, uh, and, and they live on chemical energy.
0: So what do you think the, um, what's your best guess at the origin of those microbes that, that could exist in, um, in water on, on Mars? Do you think that that's a, a like an indigenously uh, created thing that, you know, conditions on Mars uh, developed that, that, Type of life, um, or well, that's a very interesting scientific
2: question, mm-hmm. which you can only answer by going and looking. There's sure. a number of possibilities. Okay, first of all, um, you know, all Earth life has a common origin, and we know it because they all use the same genetic alphabet, mm-hmm. DNA and RNA. Right. Okay. Now, you know. You can tell that the French language and the English language have a common origin because we use the same alphabet, and then we have a lot of words in common. Correct. Okay. The Chinese alphabet does not have a common origin with our alphabet. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you, so are the Martians using uh, the Latin alphabet, or are they using Chinese? Okay. So that's hmm. the question. All right. If, if If they have a common origin with us, they'll be using the same alphabet if they have a separate origin, they would use a different alphabet because there's an infinite number of alphabets that you could create.
0: Uh, That's interesting.
2: All right. Now, what if they do have, are using the same alphabet? Well, then there's still a a very interesting question. Right. Uh, Did life on Mars come from Earth? Did life on Earth come from Mars? Or did they both come from someplace else?
0: And you're talking about panspermia, correct?
2: Yeah. Well, or at least Mm transpermia. Now, see, there's there's a mystery about life on Earth, which is that we don't find any free-living organisms simpler than bacteria. And bacteria are really very complicated. They've got Mm -hmm. the whole alphabet. Of genes, they have all sorts of complicated stuff going on, and to think that bacteria were the first organisms is like thinking the iPhone was the first machine. It's not. <laughs>
0: yeah, there's okay. steps beforehand, right?
2: <laughs> right. So there's a whole technological history before the iPhone. There's computers. There's telephones. There's electricity. There's glass. There's steel. There's written words, and there's spoken language. All of which are technologies that are necessary for the iPhone. And right. The, okay. Now. Um, you know, and if you landed on a planet where there were people with iPhones but no <laughs> evidence of any of those prior technologies, you know, you would know they had gotten them from foreigners.
0: Right, right.
2: That they couldn't have developed it themselves. Now, the the so, here's these bacteria on Earth. We don't see the predecessor technologies. Mm-hmm. So this is suggested to many researchers, although not everyone's convinced, that life on Earth is an immigrant phenomenon. Hmm. Now, Did it come from interstellar space or did it come from nearby? Well, if we go to Mars and find life that uses the same alphabet, but also simpler forms than anything we see on Earth.
0: It would suggest that it came from Mars or at least it started earlier on Mars. Is that what you're getting at?
2: Yes, that's what it would say. Hmm. Um, Now, okay, so if it's a different alphabet, then you have two separate origins and that would suggest that both uh, originated indigenously. Right. If if you have the same alphabet but there's we also see the simpler examples like you know in africa you find people but you also find uh, earlier uh, primates so we know that people right. came from africa because the earlier examples
0: other those. hominids right
2: okay so if we find microorganisms comparable to bacteria but also more primitive varieties, then we would know that life on Earth and Mars both came from Mars, okay? If we find the same kind of organisms, but no prior ancestors, it would suggest that both were seeded from interstellar space. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And finally, if we find no life at all on Mars, that would suggest that life on Earth is indigenous. Because if we were being seeded from interstellar space, it would have seeded Mars as well.
0: That is so interesting. So what do you think? Without knowing any of the answers, what, what do you think is the best guess?
2: My guess is that we both seeded from interstellar space. And the reason is it's like this. Um, okay. There's Brooklyn and there's Coney Island.
0: Right. Okay. I'm in Brooklyn now, so.
2: <laughs> All right. So, Did people come to Brooklyn from Coney Island? Did people come to Coney Island from Brooklyn? Or did people come to both of them from somewhere else? The odds, even without knowing about anthropology in Africa and all this, the odds Mm -hmm. would still be, since there's so much more something else, that neither of them are the first place and both were seated from the outside.
0: I see. So you're playing the statistical bet, right? You're saying there's a whole lot of universe out there.
2: (laughs) Right. So there's 400 billion other solar systems in our galaxy. Right. What is the probability that we were the first? One in 400 billion.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And that's that's statistically very low. (laughs) Yeah. That's super interesting. I I like to think about these things all the time. So (laughs) that's another reason to go
2: to Mars, aside from, you know, I, I, I... Is for the knowledge, to find out the truth about the purpose, not so much the purpose, but the place of of life in the universe. Are we uh, a unique phenomenon or are we part of something much larger and much more varied?
0: Well, I certainly like that idea, Um, you know, the idea of exploration and figuring things out a lot better than the idea of we need to go to Mars because our planet's dying and we need to leave
2: No, no, we're not going to Mars because our planet is dying. Uh, We're we're going to Mars um, not to escape the Earth, but Mm -hmm. to create another Earth, another partner, you know, together to Mars and then together with Mars. I like that.
0: I like the sound of that.
2: Yeah. No, I I disagree entirely with people who say the reason to go to Mars is so to just be some survivors if the Earth is hit by an asteroid. (laughs) Uh, I mean, that's ridiculous. Uh, Now, if we do go to Mars, we will have interplanetary spaceflight capabilities that will allow human civilization to deflect asteroids Mm -hmm. so that neither Mars nor Earth will be hit. Okay, that's a good idea. But the idea of trying to run away from Earth so that you could hide out on Mars. That doesn't make
0: any sense. It's very escapist, very much so. Um, Well, well, the one thing we hadn't talked about is like, how are we going to afford this? Like, how much would it cost us, you know, conservatively speaking, to get to Mars and to set up habitats and to begin the process of terraforming? Like, who's going to pay for this?
2: (laughs) Well, first of all, we do have a space program. And uh, we funded at twenty billion a year, mm-hmm. and I think that um, we could have people on Mars in ten years for twenty billion dollars if it was done in a well-directed NASA program. That'd be ten percent of NASA's budget. Right. Uh, but I think we can even do it cheaper than that because we have entrepreneurs now who are developing new space systems. Correct. Uh, on a time frame and at a cost, you know a third to a tenth what has become accepted in the aerospace industry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the Augustine Commission say the Bush moon program was impossible because it needed a heavy lift vehicle and it would cost $36 billion to develop. Elon Musk developed a heavy lift vehicle and it cost him $1 billion.
0: Right. That's one 36th of the amount. <laughs> and yeah. he did it faster, didn't he? <laughs> faster,
2: yes, he did. He... he did it in a fraction of the time and in mm-hmm. a 30th of the cost, exactly.
0: Yeah, that's that's incredible. I, I look up to Elon Musk for his um kind of can do attitude and and basically he says, I'm I'm gonna make rocket ships and people tell him, Well, you can't do that, and he says, Well, yes, I can <laughs> just because. Uh I, I love that. And I was watching your uh talk uh last um for from last August uh at the Mars Society uh uh, uh conference and you pointed out uh that you know elon musk as as high profile as he is he's not the only one and there will be many more can you talk to us a little bit about like the the growing economy of 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 privatized space industry
2: sure uh look what musk has done is not just develop a bunch of valuable space systems he's done that but he's proven a larger point he's proven that it is possible for a well-led entrepreneurial organization to do things in uh, a third the time at one tenth the cost that it, uh, was, it's become expected in the mainline aerospace government uh, cost plus contracting aerospace industry. Right. To even do things that they had deemed impossible, like having launch vehicles that fly back to the launch pad instead of crashing into the ocean. Mm-hmm. And um, so he um uh, uh, and as a result, other people are getting into the game. Of course, Jeff Bezos, uh, Richard Branson. Mm-hmm. But there's going to be a lot more. There's going to be uh, SpaceX in China. You can count on it. Mm-hmm. Maybe in Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Japan. It, there's also and, – and, 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 you know, the, and there are also many SpaceX's like – um, Rocket Labs, a company, a company started in New Zealand, a, comp- a country with virtually no space program, they're now launching a small launch vehicles that they developed on private money. And uh, Vector Space, okay, founded by Jim Cantrell, who by the way is the guy that helped Musk start SpaceX. He then went off on his own, and he's just a—he's a, not a billionaire. He's a middle-class engineer, but he was able to get investment. Um, to start this company, and it's, uh, they'll be flying this year too. And, and the, the, so um, money is rushing into this, and not only into space, by the way. Um, we're now seeing fusion power startups get right. funded. I'm very and, excited and, about that,
0: yeah. <laughs>
2: yes, and that's, yes, because it's the same thing with space. A lot of people mm-hmm. are realizing that things that were impossible were not for technical reasons but institutional reasons.
0: Right organizational reasons yeah exactly well um i I love fusion i definitely want to talk about that at some point but with all these extra players that'll spring up and you say you know without a doubt my money's on china is definitely making some kind of spacex like entrepreneurs all over the world are going to be start are going to start you know sending uh uh, privatized missions to space Uh, and the the big money there is i guess in satellites right so if what is it like? You said something like a hundred satellites a year uh, go up into space. Wouldn't that pose kind of a bit of an issue for like space junk, like space debris? Isn't that kind of a big issue already?
2: Well, space debris is an issue, uh, and we have to make provision not to make it worse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, satellites after they have use their time, have to either be deorbited or boosted into higher orbits, which are out of the way of anyone else. There's an awful lot of space out there, okay? Mm-hmm. But but anyway, um, yeah, I mean, it's just something that has to be dealt with. It's like the ocean, okay? We we okay, have a certain amount of pollution going into the ocean, and we're going right. to have to uh, pass appropriate regulations to limit that in order to keep the oceans viable but mm-hmm. it doesn't mean banning ships, it just means um, you know making sure that ships aren't dumping their wastes into the ocean all over the place Right uh, Okay, round two, name something that's
1: not boring a laundry? Oh, a book club Computer
2: solitaire Huh?
0: Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba
1: Casino that's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18+ terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay. Yeah.
0: There's a fair balance between everything. Henry, I feel like I've I've co-opted the entire show.
1: Do you have anything to add? <laughs> The main question I have is, what would the first mission look like? Would it be a one-way trip or would it be a round trip? Like, how would that work?
2: I believe the first mission will be a round trip. Um, We want to go to Mars first to explore. And we'll probably want to explore a number of places. I mean, we're exploring already now with robots and and satellites, but – um, there's no comparison to, compared to what a human can do on the ground. and We're going to want to uh, check out a number of places before we choose the place where we're going to put a colony. Okay. I mean, you know, Elon Musk says that he'll start his colony by sending a bunch of starships there one way first. and Now you've got like a bunch of apartment buildings on Mars. But wouldn't it be ridiculous to send them to the wrong place?
0: <laughs> yeah. So, we need a real estate broker in, in, on Mars, is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, well, now, of course, and just like on Earth, um, real estate becomes much more valuable when certain other things are there. Um, you know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of real estate in the Western United States. It's almost worthless. There's no roads to it, there's no tower lines, there's no water lines. Right. I mean, the first thing that started to make real estate valuable in the American West was, oh, hey, hey, it's close to the railroad. You can ship your crops back right. east. Okay. Um, you know, and then, well, what if you're close to the city? And, okay, I mean, look at New York, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, the most valuable real estate, um, perhaps in the world, but certainly up there, Manhattan. Sure, Because sure. it's yeah. right there where everybody wants to do business. Brooklyn, a little cheaper. Brooklyn became more valuable, though, once they built the Brooklyn Bridge. That's right. Um, um, Because then it became much more possible to live in Brooklyn and commute into Manhattan and and so on. And the – so – You know, right now, how can I sell you any place on Mars? Because any place is as good as any other. Yeah. But once there's a colony there and somebody has a nuclear reactor and now in this neighborhood, you can get electricity. Mm -hmm. Now that land's worth a lot more. Right. Uh, And how about if I put a dome up? Under that dome, there's air. (laughs) Right. You can breathe. That's Manhattan real estate now. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. The – um. Okay. So there you go. And um, so developers, I mean, that's what they do. They buy land when it's worthless and they put stuff on it to make it worth something.
0: Definitely. So what's your take on, on uh, this um, Mars One hoax that that fizzled out? I, I read recently that their uh, company dissolved and that they have like less than $20,000 in the bank and, and we were all just fooled into believing we were going to watch a
2: reality TV
0: show. Uh,
2: well, first of all, I think that Mars One was never really serious about anything except trying to create a reality TV show. No, and now that was a business proposition, and they managed to get some investors around it. -hmm. I mean, here is a show, right? Uh, And uh, it it conceivably could make money and and so on. Now, of course, it was never realistic to assume that the – amount of money a show could make even if it had been successful and conceivably it could have been a successful tv show mm-hmm. uh I'd watch could, it. <laughs> have made, could have made the kind of money necessary to fund a human mission to mars let alone a colony on mars mm-hmm. and that was uh, uh, a real problem um and you know i spoke to boss lonsdorff and i said look you know this is ridiculous you the problem with your plan is not any specific engineering flaws. If you had money, you could hire engineers and you could fix those flaws. But the the idea that the financial plan here is totally off the wall. And, uh, you know, but, and I offered him an alternative model. I said, look, here's the thing. There's 7 billion people on earth. About a billion of them live in the advanced sector where people aren't worried about whether they're going to eat tonight. And, have disposable income and at least 10% of those think that it's important that humans expand into space. So there's a hundred million people, a hundred million people times a hundred dollars a year, would be $10 billion a year. That would be enough to finance the colonization of Mars. Right. And especially if it was done privately. Uh, and you know, um, so the what Mars doesn't need in a reality TV show that Mars needs is an international Mars settlement support organization. Hmm. And, uh, and there's models for that if you think about it, because if you look at some of the most uh, uh, counterintuitive and bold uh, colonization efforts that there's been over the past 400 years, the pilgrims going to Massachusetts, the Mormons going to Utah, the Jews going to Palestine. They were all backed by large home organizations that were raising the money to sponsor the people who would actually go. Mm-hmm. And to a certain extent, this is even true with Israel to this day. Uh, and the, the, uh, and so, you know, if you actually, or, so what, what, what Mars needs is not a boss monster if it needs a Theodore Herzl.
0: I see. I see. Someone that can organize a bunch of people to support, uh, to
2: support, support the- an ideal mm-hmm. and, and an ideal basically that is being pursued, not, so much for a business reason, but for a transcendental reason, for a right. cause that goes beyond business. Right. Okay. And and, and think of, of, of the Mormons. I mean, picking out Utah. What a ridiculous place to put a, a, a colony, uh, given so much more attractive places were available in California and Oregon and Washington. Mm-hmm. Well, that's exactly why they chose it. Is they wanted to have their own place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the, the the so there you go that that um, is 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 what happened and 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 I think that could happen with Mars that but the, the Mars was not the person to do that so now the problem with Mars One once again was not that it was a one way mission at some point we will go to Mars one way and it is true that going one way is from a technical point of view is easier than going round trip. Right, half the hardware is unnecessary. Right, and also half the mission risk is not done. You don't have to risk the whole flight back. But um, I think that properly speaking, uh, certainly the wisest course would be to do exploration missions before settlement missions. Sure. But beyond that, um, I do disagree with people who said that the Mars one was. Uh, or a one-way mission to Mars suicide mission. We're all on a one-way trip somewhere, okay? Yeah. And, uh, but it wasn't serious, okay? It just wasn't.
1: Henry, did you have anything else that you wanted to add or ask? I have some bad sirens in the background, so I'm putting myself on mute. (laughs) Okay. Um,
2: I I do want to say one more thing about Mars One.
1: Sure, fire off.
2: Okay. Uh, Despite um, the various negative things that I've just said, it actually did have, a positive effect on a lot of people. They did get thousands and thousands of volunteers, Mm -hmm. many of whom then went off to study engineering so they could be part of this. I know some of those people, and they're they're actually very good people. So, look, Mars, many of the Mars One volunteers, and I would have to say, you know, they eventually did the down select to a final 100, and I met some of those final one hundred. And many of those people would be fully qualified, certainly serious candidates for selection for the NASA Astronaut Corps. So they did, they did mobilize a lot of good people. And other people uh, who might not have been in the first tier for selection went and got themselves scientific educations because they were inspired by the challenge uh, of going to Mars. Mm-hmm. So um, at the end of the day, I, I really can't hold it against them. You know, the fee was 30 bucks. Nobody got seriously hurt Mm -hmm. uh and some people uh had something uh added to their lives
0: yeah they had a bit of purpose yeah yeah that's that's awesome so Mm -hmm. can we still do a reality tv show if we do end up going to Mars? when we do end up going to mars because i was getting my hopes up for that because I don't think I'll be one of the first people over, but I definitely want to watch.
2: <laughs> well, there, there, there definitely could be various kinds of TV shows about going to Mars. I'm still looking for a theatrical movie that is really right. Uh, you know, the best one we've had so far has been The Martian. But yeah, I have an issue good. with The Martian.
0: What was that? And it's
2: not because of a couple of technical nits that I have. It is because the character wasn't interested in Mars. Hmm. Matt Damon just wanted to go home. He could have been home by staying home. Okay, he wasn't interested in the search for life on Mars and resolving this question of where did life come from. He Mm -hmm. wasn't interested in the new frontier on Mars. So while The Martian was a good movie, the great Mars movie has yet to be made. And I might say I've written a a novel called First Landing that I think could be the basis for such a thing. But whether it's mine or someone else's, um, you know, there's a piece of art that needs to be done to really make the case for Mars in film. I'll have to, I'll Cameron, have to are you listening? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's actually a listener. He he listens to Bro History all the time, so he'll 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 uh he'll get the message, I think.
2: <laughs> okay. Well I think he could do it. We're gonna need someone to rise to the challenge. Um because uh, I know he actually believes in this kind of thing. And uh it's going to take someone who, who believes in it to really tell the story.
1: Once he's done uh, going to the bottom of the ocean, I think he'll, he'll, he'll have some more time on his hands.
2: Okay. <laughs> Hope so. All right. So I guess that's it. Uh, um, you know, uh, and by the way, the Mars Society is going to have its uh, next convention in the Los Angeles area in October. Yes. Uh, we're going to put a bulletin out about that as soon as we get the contract signed, which could be very soon. And, uh, but in October, Los Angeles, uh, be a lot of interesting talks, debates, everything. Um, and some fun. So I hope people can
0: come. We'll try and make it out ourselves. That sounds fun. And how, how else
2: can people support you? Well, they can join the Mars society. Uh, I forget the exact dues right now, but there are probably something like 25 for students, 50 for non-students and, Um, and, uh, in any case, they can for free get on our email mailing list and check out our website and uh, figure out what they want to do.
0: Awesome.
1: Thank you, Dr. Zebra. Uh,
2: Thank you. Okay.
1: This has been great. Really appreciate it.
2: My pleasure.